There they are. There are patterns in your, your life right now that you trust that if they haven't already, they will let you down, they'll betray you. We are pattern-making people. We make good patterns, we make bad patterns, we make patterns. We make ways of dealing with things. Some of them help give structure to our life. Some of them plaster over the real needs of our life. Today we're going to look at the issue of this simplicity of the message of the gospel and the human tendency to add patterns to our life, religious and non-religious, that essentially keep us from letting the truth of the gospel go closer to us and push God and others farther away. Now, to do that, we're going to look back at the book of Galatians. And I want to give you some backstory to, to what's going on. And we start with, this is 2011. And the Bible was written a long time ago. The reason why we use the Bible is because we believe the Bible is the true story of God coming into humanity in order to redeem us. And so when we look at the book or the letter of Galatians, this is what's happening. The, the, the period that's talked about in the New Testament is a relatively small period of time, beginning first with the life of Jesus, lived, died, rose from the dead, the first 30 years of what we call A.D. And uh, what we deal with with the letters in the uh, New Testament is essentially this. There were a, a number of people who came to faith, who came to believe in Jesus, and then they began to write and travel. And one of the most prominent of those was a guy named Paul. Paul was somebody who was a hardened, zealot, religious person who believed that Christianity, it's this newfound thing, was very dangerous to a religious way of life. And so he sought to exterminate it until he met in a vision Jesus upon a road and his life was absolutely altered. And he came to believe there was a freedom and a power in the simplicity of the gospel, which is the coming of Jesus to earth to die and to rise in order to make us free. And so he changed everything. And he began to go all throughout Asia Minor, starting churches. And when I say churches, I don't mean he built buildings. And what he did is he walked into places and he began to talk about this message that Human beings are those who are made in the image of God, beautiful and yet deeply flawed, that God sees us, knows us, and sent a Redeemer to bring us back into relationship with Him and to make our lives right, whole, and free again. He began to go from town to town, and he never stayed very long in any place. And at the most, at the one, place, one time he stayed in a town about two years, but it was normally shorter than that. And he would go in, and he would talk to them, and he would reason with them, and, and then groups would form, and then he'd put leaders in place, and then he would go to the next town. Because what he wanted, he wanted as many people as possible to hear what he believed was a revolutionary message about the human heart, human soul, and human destiny. In the gap between him going to churches, starting new ones, he would write letters back to the churches about pressing issues. They were not vague religious treatises or theological treatises. He was writing about very pressing issues that were arising as people began to figure out what it meant to believe the gospel. And so he wrote letters to different ones, and, and one of the letters he wrote was to a church in Galatia. What we're going to deal with today is an incident that happened between Paul going to Galatia and writing a letter to him. There was an encounter, a meeting, if you will, in Antioch, and it, it came about because two of the most prominent leaders of the early church, Paul and Peter, you know, St. Peter, Basilica, all that, famous Peter, and Paul had a, a disagreement 
And that disagreement was essentially like this. Peter was saying, Paul, not face to face, but this was the message that was happening in, in different places. Sure, the gospel's true and it's simple and all that. Jesus died. I'm in. That's awesome. However, there's a few other things we got to make sure people do, you know, just to cover our bases because after all, we are religious. And so we got to believe that and circumcision and, you know, just a couple other things. To Paul, it seemed like, okay, he, he actually asked the question, am I, am I wrong? Am I off somewhere in what I believe? Is it simply the gospel that redeems us, that makes our lives new? Or is it the gospel plus some other things? And so they met in a city called Antioch, essentially to hash that out. When they got there, another incident happened. And that's what Paul talks about in the, in the letter to Galatians in this chapter we're going to look at in a minute. Liz, if you go ahead and put up verses 14 and 19, 11 to 14, I'm going to basically tell you what happened, but the scripture will be up there on the, on the screen as well, so you can see where I got it from. But this is what happened. So Paul walks in, and they're gathered together, and what he notices is that Peter wouldn't hang out with any of the non-Jewish people. And he would separate them. He wouldn't eat with them, wouldn't talk to them. It was like there was a click. There were the Gentile people who follow Jesus and the Jewish people that follow Jesus. And Peter was over here with the Jewish people and wouldn't associate with the Gentile ones. Now, where this came from was, in, it, it, you know, loosely from the Old Testament view that God teaching something about purity. But then it became hardened into this pattern, this religious pattern that people began to follow, which is essentially this. The only way to keep your life right is to stay away from the bad people. Right? So if there's people who are less spiritual than me or people who are not spiritual at all or people who watch the wrong movies or people who smoke, drink, whatever, I need to stay away from them, right? Because Jesus forgives me and I need to stay away from bad people because I need to stay pure. And Paul looked at him and he said, Paul at times goes ballistic. I mean, I think it's part of his personality, you know. Everybody who follows Jesus is very different, unique in their own way. And uh, Paul was somebody who went ballistic. You see it in occasion, and he essentially said, what? And, I mean, he, I don't know exactly what words. Hypocrite was one of them. But what do you think you're doing? He said, I got right up in his face. And I said, Peter, how can you do this? How can you live this way? This is completely inimical to the gospel. Am I wrong? Is not the gospel the story of God loving people? It didn't, am I wrong? Didn't Jesus walk around the earth and he accepted everybody? Am I wrong? Didn't he go to parties and people called him a drunkard and, because he hung out with people and he didn't seem to care what their background or issues were? Am, am I wrong? With, no, I'm not. <laughs> and somehow Peter had said, the gospel is the story of how much God loves and receives all of us and I need to stay away from those people. And you look at that and you go, how in the world, how in the world could that ever be associated with the life of Jesus? And then you go, wait, that's not all that different from what we see today. The issue remains often a religious, a spiritual issue, which is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you may have, yes, I believe in all this and I believe in forgiveness, and yet... I got to do a few other things. And one of those is to avoid certain types of people because that's how I keep my life clean. Yes, Jesus forgives me and I avoid the bad people. 
this has led to a rather nasty spirituality, a really nasty, rather nasty view of righteousness, which doesn't at all look even a little bit like Christianity, at least as Jesus taught it. How does that happen? Because we develop patterns to cover over our issues. See, to be really blunt, why did, why did Peter do this? Why did he not hang out with the Gentiles? Which, by the way, is most of you and I. Why would he not? We were the unclean ones. Why would he not hang out with us? Peer pressure. That's all it was. See, Peter had already been taught you know, by God that, you know what? Everybody's fine. We're reaching into the world, Peter. Nobody's better than another. The gospel's for everyone. And yet he walked into this room... And there were the religious people. And they were staring at him, and they were whispering. I was like, Peter, okay. I mean, you can hang out with him if you want, Peter, but we're, you know, we're taking note of that. And something within Peter, an unaddressed issue of who he thought himself to be, believed himself to be, whether or not he was acceptable and okay as he was, something in there tripped. And he backed away, and acted completely outside of the truth of the gospel because of an unaddressed issue in his own heart. He had a pattern, a pattern of religious behavior, which said, if I'm going to be a good follower of God, I avoid the bad people. Here's the thing. There is a view of righteousness that looks more righteous and is actually less. In other words people would have said that what Peter was doing was a very spiritual thing. And what Paul brought to him was, it is about as unspiritual as you can get. Most of the religious rules that we make have the appearance of righteousness, but are actually opposed. There was a time where Jesus is talking to some people. And there was a group, the Pharisees, who believed you worked really hard and had lots of religious rules, and they tried their best to set all sorts of restrictions and guidelines in their life. You know, they would never have seen anything other than a G movie. They would, you know, they also had really strict guidelines in their life. And at one point, Jesus looks at his followers and says, look, if your righteousness isn't farther than theirs, kind of, you're toast. I mean, seriously, if that's the level... Your righteousness has to be more than theirs. And the normal people were like, seriously? I mean, how many more rules do we need to to add? And what Jesus was saying was, that's not righteousness at all. So what is it? What is the simplicity of the gospel that changes people's lives? Two things. Number one, you got patterns. Some are good, some are not. Number two, the gospel is intended to penetrate every area of your life and revolutionize it. There's a verse in Galatians 2. It's verse 20, but this little section, verses 19 through 20, which after Paul goes through this conflict with Peter, he raises the bar. And it's a verse that if you became a Christian about the era that I did, which was some years ago, 25 years, 30 years ago, this was a verse that really everybody memorized because we believed it was like at the core of this radical change. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The righteousness that you think you have through religious living nowhere near approaches what God has for you. 
I've been crucified. The old patterns, the old ways of dealing with my life are gone, dead and buried. And now I live an entirely new way where God penetrates every sphere of my life. This is how that works. There are two approaches to life, generally speaking, a gospel approach and a non-gospel approach. Again, I repeat, what the gospel is, the gospel is the story of people like you and I, made in the image of God, beautiful but deeply flawed, that God decided to redeem, to forgive, and then to reinvigorate, revitalize, heal, and make alive the broken parts of us so that we would return to the true, pure image of God. Jesus died and rose to make you whole again. That's it. It's a gospel way of looking at every area of life and a non-gospel way of looking at every area of life. And what the non-gospel way says essentially is, okay, I believe certain things to be true, but I have issues that I'm not really willing for God or anyone else to touch. I've got issues about who I believe myself to be. I've got issues about whether or not I really am loved or not. I've got issues that go all throughout my life that invade and penetrate, and I really am not asking God to come in. I'll believe the right things. I'm closing these sections down. This is the non-gospel view of life. I have a friend. It's really a friend. It's not me. You know, it's like, I have a friend. I have a friend. At one point in his life, hmm, he was about the most closed person I've ever met. And I've met some closed people, including me. He was about the most closed person I've ever met. Facade, charade. It was like, can you ever actually get to any real issues? Complex patterns of how he dealt with people that never allowed you to get to who he was. And then his life fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. Not only did his wife leave him, but left him in his mind out of the blue. I never saw it coming. Women, don't nod. <laughs> he was a caricature, the picture of the oblivious man who was like, I thought we were happy. To which she shook her head and thought, no. Maybe you were. I wasn't. And so his whole world was rocked. It wasn't simply that he was leaving. It was that everything he thought he believed about what was going on in his world was wrong. And there was a moment. It was like a week where it was like the window cracked open. And he was willing to let me, anybody else inside, to actually point to the issues. The long-developed coping mechanisms and patterns that he had dealt with in relationships that kept people from getting too close to him. There was a moment, a week, where I could speak to him and he would actually listen and not deflect. And then it closed, it shut down, boarded over, never been opened again. The walls have gotten thicker and harder because at some level he was unwilling to let his true heart and life be exposed. Why? Because he didn't believe if he did, it would be okay. It's a non-gospel view of life. The gospel view of life is this. I got issues. I have real issues in my life. I recognize that I develop patterns to cope and cover those over. I'm going to stop 
pause and believe that if I open my life up and let people and God see what's going on, I can actually get healed and changed. And then every area of my life gets transformed. For example, I'll be blunt. If you have financial issues, it's not about how much money you make. I mean, theoretically, it might be, but that would be unusual. It's about coping mechanisms, things you believe about you and about others, which affect the way that you live. And those are areas that you have shut down and cut off. And they affect how you deal with finances. You've got relational issues. It's not about the other people. There may be some interesting people in your life, but if you have relational issues, it's not about the other people. It's about some core issues in your life that you have been unwilling or maybe oblivious to. And you've developed careful coping mechanisms, careful patterns of how you handle life that keep you operating in exactly the same way, untouched by the gospel. You got issues at work. It's not about your job. You have issues with responsibility. It's not that people are asking too much. You have too much on your plate. It's not that people are adding new things to it. You have issues that you've been unwilling, unable, oblivious to that affect how you live your life. The gospel view of life, when those things happen, stops, opens up, and says, here's a real issue in my life, and I want to be free. And so I let, like a wind, rush into my life in order to see this area of my life changed. Now, there are many issues I could tell you about myself, many I choose not to. I'll tell you one. You all got issues. See, here's my comfort level. I know you have issues. I did. And and some of you know you have issues, and and some of you don't. Maybe you'll walk out today knowing that. It's the healthiest place to be, to understand you have issues, and it's okay to come out with your issues because the gospel's true. You are loved and forgiven, and so you can allow it to penetrate. And then the coping mechanisms, the patterns you develop that keep sidetracking your life can actually be eliminated rather than plastered over. Okay, so one of my issues is I tend to be restless internally. Someone once said it's like I have a lazy Susan spinning in my head, and I just move from one thing to another. I got two things I can do with that. Number one is I can say to you, deal with it. It's who I am. For good and for ill, I'm Popeye. I am what I am. I am restless internally, but it's part of what makes me great. You know, you can go with all sorts of crazy stuff like that where you baptize an internal issue, and not only do you plaster it over, but you actually start to use it. Or... I can deal with it. Several people in my life have said, you probably ought to press in on that a little bit. And my response is, see, I would love to hear Peter's actual response to when Paul talked to him. I guarantee you he didn't go. Paul said, Peter, you hypocrite. This is completely opposed to the gospel. We're called to love other people as as Jesus loved us, and what are you doing? And Peter did not go, Oh my goodness, Paul, you're absolutely right. Hey, everybody, come on over. Paul just pointed out something in my life which I haven't known. I've had this coping mechanism because I'm really pretty insecure and I valued your, your approval of me far too much more than I do God's or anyone else. And so it's allowed me to treat other people as if I didn't love them and it's really wrong. I'm sorry, I'm moving on now. Gentiles, come on over. I guarantee you it did not happen that way. If it did, I'm just gonna assume he's a far better man than I. 
But probably what happened is he went, Paul, no, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I mean, it's just it's an extenuating circumstance and it's time. And, you know, I got to deal with this and I'm trying to bring these people along and all sorts of stuff. Same way. Bruce, you really need to press on that. My immediate response is, press on what? I'm in process. I have had a restless, in, in just this sort of things whirling in my brain and my heart for all of my life. If you had told me that 20 years ago, I, wouldn't, I would have looked at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. 10 years ago, I would have said, I know what you're talking about, but I don't really want to, I'm not going to do anything about it. It's just who I am. The place of the gospel, when we really believe this stuff is true, is where I would go, okay, I'm restless internally. Why? Why? God, would you come into my life? You've said that the life to live, I'm supposed to live is I've been crucified with Christ, put to death old patterns and mechanisms, and you live in me. Could you come and live there and put away the restlessness that can keep me bonded in bondage to, to patterns of living? If you have a conversation with me, if I'm able to stay seated, it's somewhat of a miracle. I stand up for no reason. I move to the, I mean, okay, like you watching me speak, I, I move around the stage. Why? Oh, there's lots of reasons. <laughs> but the great tendency is not to want to ask why about any of our issues. Because there's something... We're not sure we want to know. And the non-gospel approach to life doesn't penetrate very deep. It looks very religious. It often makes it look like you're better than other people. It's very religious. But it's dead. And the inside of your life never gets touched. The gospel's simple. You're beautiful and broken. God loves you, forgives you, and wants you to live in that and be free. The question is, will we do that? Will we continue in the broken patterns of life that keep us from ever being free? One question to ask at this point is, so how do I know if my patterns aren't simply helpful ways of living life or if they're things that are keeping me from dealing with real issues? For example, that mean, we, again, we make patterns regularly. We make patterns. And some of you make very good patterns. I am a non-pattern person who makes patterns, you understand. They're just not as good as you who are actually organized at it. I just make bad patterns. But some of you make... Some of you have very good patterns. I know there's some of you who get up at the same time every day. You read the Bible at that time. You pray at that time. You have a very rhythmic order to your life, and there's a real beauty to that. Some patterns are very... There, some of you have patterns about when you meet with people. You have patterns about when, how you orchestrate your day, and there's, there's nothing wrong with having patterns. So how do you know when your patterns are actually getting in the way and are covering over the issues of your life? Well, really two ways. It's actually pretty simple. Number one, and this is, I didn't know much when I said simple. I didn't say easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. Simple. You need to hear when other people are speaking into your life. 
Peter had Paul in his face. He didn't like that. However, that's what had to happen. He would not have seen it otherwise. Often we will not see the faulty, dysfunctional patterns that affect our finances, our relationships, our job, our ability to love other people, our ability to be loved. We won't accept any of that until somebody's in our life who knows us well enough and cares about us enough to actually speak into our lives. And it's why at Warehouse we emphasize small groups. You really can't do this on your own. Christianity is not a solo encounter. It is not sitting back and breathing in information. It is not an information dump. It's a life transformation process of opening our lives up to the reality of God to see into the deepest parts and make us free. And that really can't be done without other people. Any issue of any significance that I've realized about my life has first been brought about by somebody else who had to love me and care for me enough to get through my defenses because the first time they said it, I didn't believe them. If I believed them, I wouldn't admit it. If you want to discover the dysfunctional, handicapping, destructive patterns of your life that look really good from the outside but are keeping you from dealing with the real issues of your heart, you've got to have people close enough to see them and talk to you who say, why don't you press in on that? and are willing to come back again when you say, I don't need to, and they say, let me press a little harder. Why don't you press in on that? A second way that you recognize that the patterns in your life are flawed and are simply covering things up is what's not working. See, the problem with coping mechanisms, they're just that. They're coping mechanisms. They're patterns that are covering over something that isn't changing. And so they only work for a certain amount of time or at a certain level. And so if you keep seeing, if you ask this, I wonder why I keep fill in the blank. Then almost certainly you have a pattern you've placed over your life that is keeping you from the actual issue inside. When things don't work, there's something wrong internally. As Americans, we are generally entitled. And so we tend to think If something's wrong, it's somebody else's fault. The reason why my life isn't going well is because you fill in the blank. I've not gotten the opportunities. They don't treat me well. He doesn't understand me. We think somebody else is at fault for the issues in our life. When you continue to see ineffectiveness in a critical area of your life, you have a pattern that's covering over the real issue in you. And that's the place where you stop and say, okay, what I want to be true is I want to be crucified with Christ. The bad stuff killed off. I'm going to have to actually open up and see what it is. Simple, but really difficult. So, today, as you sit out here, you're in one of two very broad categories. One is that you are exploring Christianity and you don't know yet. This is what I'd really want you to hear. God wants to do more in your life than you might think. He's not trying to make you religious or slightly better. He's not trying to give you a free ticket into heaven. He's trying to make you alive. It's a combination of forgiveness and the reality of God in your life to actually change the things within you and to bring out the internal beauty that's always been there but too often gets submerged. God wants more for you today than you want for yourself.
If you walk into a relationship with Jesus, you will not be asked by him anyway to put on new patterns, new religious patterns. You'll be asked to come clean, to live free, and to live as a loved daughter or son of God. That's the invitation. If you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to look hard at the areas of your life where the gospel needs to be breathed in. Look at the places that keep going sideways. Listen to the voices of those around you. Why? Because the patterns you trust can betray you. And freedom is found when the deepest internal issues of our heart are finally opened because we are absolutely loved and absolutely forgiven, and so it's okay to come clean. As we go to uh, this time of response, I'm going to pray for us, and my prayer is that, well, you'll see what it is, but that God will speak to us in this time of response in a very specific way. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that this, this morning, the rest of this time, could be a time of uh, reality, of you speaking deep into our spirits and making us new. We develop patterns. We know that some of them are fine, but some of them are just trying to avoid the issue or help us to cope with the brokenness within. I pray that you would give us the freedom, the reality to see those places of brokenness, to be okay with that, to know it's all right. Forgiveness is real. And that as you come into those spaces, you can revitalize us, renew us, and heal us within. Give us the courage to wade into those places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, as we lead it, go into our time of worship, we do so with our offering, which is a way for us to frame, articulate the concept that it is God who's the great pursuer of our soul, and that real magic happens when we turn and respond to him.